Welcome to The Senior Caregiver, where we talk about caring for aging loved ones and ourselves. This is a safe space that recognizes both the joys and challenges of senior caregiving, and our goal in every episode is to provide helpful resources and how-to information for you. I'm Bill Worthington. We're covering a lot of ground in this episode, topics we know many of you have questions about. First, the power of music and how you can use it to connect with your loved one. Then, how do you explain Alzheimer's to younger kids? And how close are we to finding a cure for Alzheimer's? I'm here with Rita Altman, Senior Vice President of Memory Care and Program Services for Sunrise Senior Living. Now, Rita, we've talked a lot about maintaining connections with our aging loved one with memory loss, and one of the ways that I happen to find fascinating is through the use of music. How can uh, I incorporate music into my quiver of communication techniques for the aging loved one? Most people, to your point, respond to music. It evokes emotion. Uh, it actually, through research and science done at UC Davis, um, evokes autobiographical information, um, motion, movement. So it, it, there are so many areas of the brain where music is stored, which is another beautiful thing, uh, because Alzheimer's really can't take that away. Um, it's really interwoven within the tapestry of the brain, and some say that music even outsmarts Alzheimer's. So, Pardon me for interrupting, but I'm reminded of the country music singer Mel Tillis, who used to stutter when he spoke. It was something everyone around him acknowledged, and he even incorporated it into his act, but... When he sang, the stutter disappeared and the lyrics came out flawlessly. I always heard the explanation that speech resides in one area of the brain and music uh, resides in another area. I've, I've seen this in my ex many years of experience uh, working with and, and learning from uh, people with memory loss. I, and I think of, of a woman uh, who taught me so much many, many, many years ago. Uh, this was when I was working in an adult day center and she had a younger onset form of Alzheimer's. She was quite young and she had a form that caused her to lose a lot of her speech her ability to speak or articulate. However, she could still sing songs from beginning to end. And those moments of, of her standing up and just belling out a song or singing that song, what that did for her, for her own identity and for her own dignity, always totally amazed me. And it was so beautiful. She had, uh, she had grown up um, as a child of missionaries and uh, learned so many hymns when she was a young girl. Oh. And uh, the, the, the day center was actually in a church that had a child care center, and one of her best friends ran the child care center and would come over every Friday to play the piano so that this uh, lovely lady could sing. And again, it, it just brought her back to the moment. See this time and time again at sunrise where you may have a, an 86, 87-year-old resident who uh, formerly played the piano and may even be a little hesitant about sitting in front, uh, sure. you know, tickling the ivories there, but saying, but but with some encouragement and and uh, that that loving caregiver encouraging that um, 
resident, you'll see them sit down and just begin to play without even the music. Um, so, so that ability or that procedural memory or what we call memory in the fingertips very often remains long after a lot of the other memory or the declarative memory is gone and a person can actually continue to play a song, sing a song, uh, hum, hum along. And, uh, it's almost it, a miracle, it, isn't it? it, it, it no, as, as many times as you see it happen, you are every single time, it's, it's, it's as if it was the first time that you had witnessed it. It's amazing. It's remarkable. It's, it's beautiful. So music should be something that is uh, encouraged to be offered to anyone experiencing memory loss. So as you're trying to sort out what kind of music may work best, uh, should you start with the music they grew up with, maybe? or Begin with what you know they like, the genre of music they like. Right. Uh, tap into that, and uh, you might see some amazing things happen. And we know that's got to be true, or it's got to have some... some um benefit because how many times in our own lives uh, do we hear a song on the radio or or wherever that will take you back 20 30 40 years ago in many cases you know to what you were doing exactly which you would have otherwise had no recollection whatsoever and all of a sudden you're back in the summer of when you were 14 years old right so music it it can absolutely evoke that memory and bring back both happy and sad times now on the downside though if we try music and they don't respond then what whatever technique we're trying be it music be it you know, rephrasing, uh, whatever we're trying. If it doesn't seem to be working, don't push it. Uh, Move on to something else. Uh, Maybe find some other way that your loved one liked to be creative or something else that they enjoyed and move into that dimension with them. Uh, It doesn't mean that you should never try music again, uh, especially if you knew that they liked it in the past, uh, it could just be the day. So uh, uh, memory loss is very much in the moment kind of condition. And so we're just going to try again uh, later. That's great because there are some days I don't want to hear music either. And I love music. There you go. So you just may be catching them on one of those days. Exactly. And and I think your point, that the, the point you just made, Bill, about some days you may not be in the mood for music, uh, That that brings up something that we all need to think about. People with memory loss are just the same as we are. They're, they, they have those same good days, bad days. Um, it's, we're, it, we're the same, except they've got more forgetfulness and they're struggling more. Uh, Rita, let's, let's switch gears here for a second from music to this scenario. Explaining Alzheimer's to a young child. Now, they're used to grandma or grandpa being who they are, but then comes a diagnosis. What are we going to say to that little one in anticipating the changes that are taking place? I think it's important that we keep in mind that children are very perceptive and they pick up on a lot of things. They're intuitive. They see more than we very often give them credit for. Um, And they're also very, very, very accepting. So while we might have a tendency to want to shield them from any bad news, it's really better to engage them from the beginning. Mm. So 
and by that, I, I, I don't mean, you know, that you sit down and give them a, a, a point by point explanation of what the disease is or how it affects the brain. It, it all depends on the age of the child and how inquisitive they are. Uh, if, if they're very young, they're pretty much going to go with the flow. Mm-hmm. They're not going to question a lot of it. They're going to, in fact, probably help you or help us to uh, live in the moment more, to be creative more, uh, to just go with the flow more, because kids are like that. But what if they're afraid? If they're afraid, especially if they uh, are sensing uh, the frustration in their grandparent, who uh, may be unhappy that they're experiencing memory loss, again, being fearful, being afraid, being scared, those are very normal, natural responses. So it's, that's the time for the parent to be the role model, mm. to show them the way, so to speak, right. uh, to show them through your approach how you helped to, uh, to help your loved one who was feeling stressed feel more calm, feel that love. Um, It's a day-to-day process. It, again, isn't one simple, easy lesson. Uh, Teenagers might be a little more interested in the details of the disease. Uh, For them, there are really very, very good videos uh, that the Alzheimer's Association website has. Mm, Uh, For children or young children, I would recommend um, storybooks about memory loss because that is not only a way for the child to learn, but it can also be that opportunity or that guide for the parent that maybe doesn't know what to say. So uh, have, having a, a good book that explains it in a story-like way can be a, a really nice way of introducing it to a child. So Rita, should we be bent on an education process with kids or is it just possible that they'll figure it all out along with the rest of us? Yeah, and in many ways, kids do figure it out. You're absolutely right. But again, it's that just as no two people with memory loss or Alzheimer's present the exact same way, nor will a child or every single child accept it or uh, understand it the same way. So I think it's it's know your child, um, answer their questions. If you're not sure uh, of exactly how to guide them and you know they need some insight, again, I, I really do recommend uh, going to those uh, important websites that the Alzheimer's Association has the videos for the older children as well as uh, find those books. And there are some great books. Uh, Maria Shriver's What's Happening to Grandpa is a very good book. Uh, the Memory Box, it's an older book, but a very good book by Mary Barr and, and one that I particularly love and is probably one of my favorites. It doesn't really describe... Alzheimer's disease or all the changes in the brain as much as it talks about a very special boy who was able to find something very special in a group of older people living in a in a home, uh, so to speak, in the book. And uh, it's called Wilford Gordon McDonald Partridge by Mem Fox. And in his own beautiful way, he uh, connected with the humanity of every one of those old people. And he found something uh, about them that he was able to bring back to them and help them uh, help to spark memories, uh, beautiful memories uh, within their own lives. That's a great story. So, yeah, again, you know, it it is it I think it brings us back to just understanding that it's really about our shared humanity more than it is about knowing every single detail, because with all we know today, 
we still, of course, haven't found a cure. So what we want to do is, is find the, the best treatment, the best approaches, and the best ways to bring a person quality of life. So engaging those children that are so vital to, uh, to, to all of us, but especially to a person who's beginning to uh, show signs of memory loss or in the throes of it. Um, kids and seniors, there's absolutely something very, very uh, magical and special that happens. It's, it's almost like that music thing we talked about earlier. Yes, yeah, music, children, um, get, pull both of those together and you'll see some amazing things happen. You mentioned we haven't found a cure, so let me, um, let me crudely put it this way. On a scale of 1 to 10, how close do you think we are to finding a cure for Alzheimer's in the next 25 years? Oh, within the next 25, I would say we should we should be uh, near eight on the scale. Within the next 10, I'd probably take it to a six or seven, but very hopeful. That's good, actually. I, I, I we're we well, not we. The brilliant scientists are the ones, uh, you know, working day and night in labs and really figuring this out. Uh, there have been so many uh, breakthroughs recently, um, much better understanding of how those plaques and tangles form in the brain, and most importantly, when they form, because the, the conventional methods of treatment really are treating uh, something that's already... The effects. Quite, yeah, and, and, and really the plaques, and t they're there. Let's, let's start looking at the brain 20 years before it really develops because the belief is, and actually research is showing, yes. that a lot of it begins much earlier than the symptoms display. So up to 10 to 20 years before someone shows signs of memory loss, their brain may be showing some changes. Mm. So researchers are now looking at ways that they can um, not only predict, but also treat in that very early phase, if you kind of compare it to a person who's had a heart attack, you know, if, if we're looking at the predictive kinds of things, uh, high cholesterol levels and triglycerides and diet and exercise and focus on that before the heart attack, you're likely to reduce the risk, right? Wouldn't it be great? Yep. So let's now look at, or, or what what's happening now is right. we're looking at the brain far in advance of when it would develop. So there's a lot of research happening now, and, and I would encourage anyone who's really interested to perhaps sign on for one of the trials. We're talking with Rita Altman, who is the Senior Vice President of Memory Care and Program Services at Sunrise Senior Living. And uh, Rita, would you say that all of this focus that's been put upon Alzheimer's is the result of just that we humans are living longer and we're seeing more cases of it because of people aging? Or would you say it's related to the environment? Or what exactly are we looking at? I think it's a combination, exactly what you said. Um, individuals are living longer, and the risk of developing Alzheimer's increases with age. So if it's one out of every 10 individuals at the age of 65, it increases to 50% at the age of 85. So it actually doubles every five years. Your, your risk actually doubles every five years after the age of 65. Mm -hmm. So inherent in the aging process is something that's happening uh, that sort of... Uh, 
flips on those switches, so to speak. So whether it be, uh, and most likely it is a combination of things. Of course, there are absolute deterministic genes uh, and a very rare form, a familial form of Alzheimer's that occurs in young individuals in their 30s and 40s. There are probably only about 500 known cases right now, but it's absolutely, you can go to the gene, you know exactly what caused it. It is familial. Uh, but That's early onset only? It's early. Okay. And, and, and then there's, well, a, there's another gene in, in, in the uh, more sporadic form, uh, which would be the APO4. But the, the thing that we're not, we're not at the point yet in genetics that we can just go and fix that or f- turn that switch off. So would genetics have something to do with it, just as the genes have a lot to do with just about any um, disease process or condition? Yes. Would environment, to your point, yes. Would diet, yes. Um, again, would just the way we've coped throughout life, um, you know, how many... Um, how we've sort of handled things throughout life, uh, our, the stressors, our coping mechanisms. Wow. Well, thank you, Rita. Very, very informative. That's sure a lot to unpack. So uh, let's end it right now, but we look forward to having you back for future episodes so we can go into a little more detail. Rita Altman, thank you for being our guest today. Oh, you're welcome. It's been my pleasure. The Senior Caregiver is brought to you by Sunrise Senior Living. With communities in the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom, Sunrise residents receive personalized care based on their unique interests and needs, with a focus on preserving dignity and promoting independence. For more information and resources, please visit sunriseseniorliving.com.